Hello and a very warm welcome to today's edition of the FAS Cyprus podcast uh, Beyond the Divide series. Our topic today is corruption, corruption in the northern part of the island. Ever since 1974, uh, the island of Cyprus is divided. The Greek Cypriots live in the south, in the internationally recognized Republic of Cyprus, and the Turkish Cypriots live in the north, in the internationally not recognized Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus. Um, corruption as a phenomenon is a global phenomenon. For Cyprus, it was measured by an organization called Transparency International for many years, but only for the Greek Cypriot areas of the island, for the Republic of Cyprus. There was no data available uh, for the North. And in late 2016, early 2017, uh, two Turkish Cypriot academics and scholars, Satac Sonan, who is an associate professor in the Cyprus International University in the North, and Ömer Götzschrekusch, um, who is a full professor at uh, Seton Hall University in New Jersey, um, approached me as the head of office in Cyprus. My name is Hubert Faustmann, to introduce myself a bit late, but better late than never. Um, and together we decided to conduct research that is up to the standards of Transparency International to allow a debate and a discussion and an inclusion of the north of the island in um, the rankings of the Transparency International Index. So officially this had not followed, but at least the data should be comparable so we can compare the north of the island with the rest of the world. This project is now um, in its basically fourth year. We have three reports uh, completed so far, and we do this podcast on the occasion of the release of the 2019 report, the third. So we also have now some perspective on developments in the last three to four years. And um, I'd like to welcome uh, with me here Satraj Sonan, one of the two authors. Hello, Satraj. Hello, Hubert. Um, Invite. Um, more than welcome, great report. Uh, and let's share its findings and start discussing maybe in general uh, corruption and, and this phenomenon so we have some clarity on what you actually looked into, what you could measure, how precise this is, and then look at the findings for the north and uh, at some stage also compare them to the south uh, and the, the rest of the world. I think that's what we're going to do. So corruption is, is a worldwide phenomenon and there are different understandings, definitions of it. Which, which definition did you use for your work? Uh, we use one of the standard definitions, which is also used by Transparency International, and it is basically the abuse of public office for private gain. Of course, uh, this abuse have uh, two, uh, two sides, um, and then we always uh, feel the urge to say that all right, we are looking into the abuse of public office for bri private gain, but there is another party in this, uh, in this relationship. And that's, of course, the one who is offering the, the bribe or kickback or whatever you call it, uh, depending on the cir circumstances. But I mean, mainly, we, uh, as I said, uh, our working definition is the abuse of public office for private gain. This is usually not a very public activity. By definition, corruption is done, sec done secretly. Uh, and, and, and so I would, uh, methodologically, it must be very, very difficult 
to measure corruption and get an idea how widespread it is it is it is it is really in a society so so how do you measure corruption and i think the title corruption perception index already gives us an idea of what is what is really measured here uh, but i don't want to preempt your answer so how do you measure corruption uh, and, and in a way how accurate mm-hmm. um, is this an, is is this a reflection of of uh, reality and in that context what's the intention then with such mm-hmm. findings and such a research as a second question You're right. I mean, it's it's a sensitive issue, and uh, you cannot go around and ask people, like I mean, public office holders, whether they got uh, received any bribe or not. So uh, when we look at the literature, we see that there are two alternative ways, methods of measuring corruption. One of them is counting the numbers of convictions. Okay? How many? corruption convictions you have in a given year in a given state and you you compare uh, different uh, years different countries uh, different states etc and actually that's how i and and my co-author professor omar gekchakush uh, started working together we uh, our collaboration started with a, a an article in a peer reviewed journal and in this article we focused on uh, the united states and there the method we used was uh, counting the uh, corruption convictions of course i mean uh, this is not something that you can do for the uh, turkish cypriot case because unfortunately we don't have many convictions and we don't have comparable data going back in in history So we skipped that method. The alternative to uh, convictions is perceptions, me- measuring the perceptions. And that's the method that we uh, adopted. And it is the method adopted by the uh, Transparency International as well, which is a Berlin-based uh, watchdog, I would say, anti-corruption uh, uh, body. Um, so we used uh, perceptions, measuring perceptions. Whose perceptions? I mean, um, is it the general population? Is it selected groups? Um, so maybe a bit about the methodology and the and the yeah the people chosen in order to measure perception. That, that that's a good question. Actually, Transparency International have a uh, few studies. Corruption Perceptions Index is uh, one of them, and it's uh, conducted annually. They also have a corruption uh, barometer, which uh, which comes every three years, and uh, it, it's a different approach. Rather than uh, countries, uh, or rather than coming up with a uh, with scores and index, they uh, use uh, other approaches, and on top of that. They ask their questions to average citizens. Right? That's the barometer. What we use, again, I mean, following the methodology of Transparency International in this uh, study and in Corruption Perceptions uh, Index, is we use two groups. One is business executives. Okay? There is a questionnaire that we use uh, for that, and uh, for that matter. We uh, use a private company, okay? 
uh, it's a pollster. It's a well-respected, one of the uh, most respected, uh, well-known uh, pollsters in the in the north. Uh, so we hired them to administer the survey that we uh, that we prepare. So they call around 360 business executives, and of course, I mean this. They 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 try to uh, do it as uh, representative as possible. Of course, we are following all. Uh, scientific standards. So part of the score comes from the uh, business executives. The remaining part comes from experts, those who have experience in this area. So one side is business executives and our uh, experts, we hold uh, a workshop uh, with uh, experts and uh, we ask them certain questions. I'll come back to that if you like. I'll I'll give you uh, more information on that. And uh, our experts are those who retired from public service. So in a way, we are covering both sides of, you know, uh, of those who are involved in uh, corruption, the giving side and the taking side. Of course, I mean, people we are, uh, our experts are not people, you know, uh, who are convicted criminals, <laughs> convicted uh, corrupt people. It's rather uh, our experts are people who were on the side trying to actually catch the ones who are uh, abusing their power. So they are lawyers, auditors, etc. So the questions, and, and this is where we uh, use the method- methodology of Transparency International. Transparency International is a is a when it comes to preparation of the uh, corruption perceptions index, they don't really do much themselves. They identify, as far as I remember, they have 10 or must be probably 13 different bodies, private uh, bodies conducting uh, research on different areas of, of, uh, of economy and uh, society, etc. And some of them focus on corruption, but some of them focus on other uh, aspects of uh, political and uh, economic social life. So they take uh, the, quest- the, 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 uh, the questions that these bodies ask regarding corruption. So they're not conducting an independent study, but rather they are uh, putting together findings, data coming from different independent sources. Of course, you don't have all these data for uh, all countries from the same organizations. So their standard is there should be minimum four sources of data. So some of uh, data are um, based on business executives, uh, interviews with or questionnaires with uh, surveys with uh, business executives. Some are based on interviews and uh, or exchanges with experts. So that's what we did as well when we prepared our initial uh, methodology at the at the beginning of this uh, study back in 2016. So we use questions from IMD World Competitiveness Yearbook and also from World Economic Forum. These are uh, both uh, questions 
designed to ask to business executives. Other two uh, sources of questions that we use are Economist Intelligence Unit's country risk ratings. And finally, we have uh, Bertelsmann Foundation Sustainable Governance Indicators. Questions come from these uh, sources. And as I said, we ask some of them to business executives and some of them to experts. What kind of structures, generally speaking, foster corruption? And uh, maybe you can elaborate a bit on the structures in the North that are part particularly conducive to corrupt practices as they're encountered by business executives. Well, of course, one of the biggest problems we have in the North is that we are not part of the international community. As you pointed out at the beginning, since 1974, uh, Turkish Cypriots have been living in a gray area, I would say, in the sense that we are living in a non-recognized entity, in a de facto entity, uh, which is to a large extent under isolation of the international community. So our ties with the rest of the world is very limited. The country is uh, recognized only by Turkey. So whatever connection we have with the rest of the world is uh, via Turkey. So that's one of the, 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 the problems. So the closer you are, the more e the, the, the easier it is to de develop more you know, corrupt relationships because you cannot, uh, we know that for, uh, for instance, uh, countries like uh, Bulgaria and Romania had to go through some sort of reforms as part of their harmonization with the acquis communitaire. So we, there, there is no one here forcing us to uh, make some reforms. And even worse, I would say, uh, as I said, we are, our only connection with the rest of the world is Turkey, which can be seen as the uh, patron state of the, the TRNC. And uh, unfortunately, um, let me quote a, a, a report that I read, uh, which came out in the 1990s. Back then, North Cyprus was uh, described as Sicily of, of Turkey. So as we know that, I mean, Sicily is not uh, very... It's not flattering, no. <laughs> so <it's, laughs> they're not talking about the food and the weather there, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we are compared with uh, Sicily in that, uh, in that respect. So this, I would say, state of uh, isolation, being not part of the international community, is uh, part of the, uh, the problem. Uh, being not subject to you know, international uh, rules. Uh, this creates uh, room for lots of shady businesses. And it attracts uh, actually people from abroad as well. I mean, I mean being in this uh, gray area uh, gives a cover to many people who are uh, willing to, you know, uh, act in a rather uh, corrupt manner, let's say. And also, it has something to do with the, uh, with the democracy, uh, the level of democracy within the country. And I would say, to put it mildly, our democracy since 74 
also has been in a way overshadowed by some concerns about the Cyprus problem. So uh, as some political parties uh, were deemed to be more you know, uh, nationalistic, etc., they were favored and they remained in power for a very long time. And you know, when we look at the literature as well, we see that when you have a dominant party, uh, and again, I, I, I'm going to compare our case with Italy, when you have a very uh, a dominant party staying in power for long years, at the end, corruption is, is inevitable. And uh, example uh, for this can be Christian Democrats in Italy. They remain in power. They were seen as an anti-communist uh, party, favored uh, during the Cold War. So they remain in, uh, in power for a very long time. Uh, luckily for Italy, the Cold War came to an end. And, uh, and uh, we see that only a few years after that, uh, Christian Democrats in Italy, you know, imploded in a way, and they were wiped off the uh, political scene. They were gone because, in a way, uh, they, their uh, reason for being was gone. We cannot say the same thing uh, for the North. So I would say the, the Cyprus problem and uh, isolation from the international community are two uh, interrelated uh, reasons behind corruption here, I would say, in the, in the North. So it's more, more structures than actors that are decisive for the, for the corrupt. Absolutely. I mean, you, you can say that. The, the, the structure is uh, the problem. The, the, this is not going, I mean, northern part of Cyprus is not going to be a, a more transparent, uh, a better place, uh, simply because one bold leader will come and clean up. I, I, I don't think that uh, such thing will, will happen. I don't think that uh, such thing can happen in, you know, anywhere in the world, but particularly in our case, it's very structural and it has something to do with, particularly with the Cyprus problem. So unless our isolation comes to an end, I don't think uh, there is much prospect for reform. That's of course, I mean, you can, you can uh, improve certain things by institutional uh, uh, modifications. And that's actually why we are uh, doing this research. Uh, we are trying to raise awareness and uh, we are trying to, you know, uh, promote ideas which can be used uh, to, to fix certain problems. But uh, we are not going to be Norway <laughs> by simply, you know, uh, changing, uh, making some changes in the institutional structure. For that, we need uh, more. So let's, let's go a bit more into detail about the North. I mean, we are implying that things are not fine in the North, but one of the cool things of Transparency International indexes is that it, that it issues global rankings that probably shouldn't be taken as a, as a very precise form of measuring corruption, but as a strong indicator of where countries roughly are in comparison to other countries. So let's talk about the entity in the North. How did the North fare? Maybe you can give us that in, in a global comparison, but also in comparison to the Republic of Cyprus in the South. Sure, sure. That's one of the things that we, we cover in this uh, research. The score uh, in the North for this year was uh, the score, the, 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 the total score or composite score was 40. 
And with this score, of course, I mean, let me uh, underline this. I mean, we, are, we cannot fully replicate what Transparency International is doing, okay? Because as I said, they are getting their data from independent sources. Whereas in our case, we get our data, we, we prepare you know, our questionnaire and our workshop, and uh, it, uh, we are doing that uh, as one entity to researchers uh, to be more uh, precise. But we follow their method you know, as much as possible. So uh, if, and of course, I mean, we are trying to be uh, as scientific, scientific as much as possible. So we think that we are uh, managing well because in the last three years, uh, we, we don't see a zigzag or, you know, fluctuations in the score. So always it's like uh, the, the, the first score uh, in 2000. 17 report. The score was 40 in 2018. It was 37. And this year again, 40. So maybe, sorry to intersect, but before we throw numbers at the audience, maybe it's, it's important to explain what 40 and 37 means. I mean, out of what? How do we make sense of such a figure? Yeah. Okay. It's out of 100. And the closer you are uh, to 100, the better your uh, ranking is. Let me give you some examples. So, uh, so the less corrupt you are, yeah? Exactly. So the so higher... 100, the 100 means non-corrupt and zero means super, super, super extremely corrupt. Exactly. And uh, when we look at the figures, uh, findings of Transparency International, we see that no country gets 100. Again, as you pointed out at the beginning, there is no country without any corruption at all. Okay. So the, the, the closest we get to 100 is uh, in Denmark and uh, New Zealand both got 87. Finland is 85, Singapore 85, Sweden 85, Switzerland 85. So Nordic countries are doing pretty well. Germany's score is 80 and Germany is in the, uh, is the ninth most uh, transparent, the cleanest uh, country along with Luxembourg, Iceland's uh, score is 78, Austria 77, UK 77, Canada 77. It goes like that, Japan 73 and in, in the uh, 20th rank. When we look at the worst countries, we see that uh, we have war-torn countries like Somalia, Southern Sudan and uh, Syria, Yemen. Both of them, uh, all of them are at the bottom of the list with the scores of Somalia has a score of nine, uh, Yemen is uh, 15, Syria 13, Venezuela 16, it goes like that. So um, the best, if you look at the, the, the real cases, we see that the best score is 87 and the worst score was uh, nine in uh, 2009, uh, CPI's, uh, Transparency International, International's CPI index. So that's the, the over, overall uh, place uh, North Cyprus has. Uh, eight, score is 40, and we are at uh, 80th uh, spot in the ranking. We would be if uh, Transparency International included us. Our place 80 out of? Out of how many? Sorry, 85th. Let me correct, 85th out of 180 countries. Okay. 
And the average score, according to, uh, to, to Transparency International uh, in 2019, was 43. So we are below average. EU average is uh, 66. So in that respect, we are, you know, not where we want to be as Turkish Cypriots. Um, we chose few countries to compare ourselves. And these are our, uh, you know, neighbors and uh, EU average, of course. And we chose also Malta as a small island uh, nation. So when we look at their figures, starting with our uh, southern neighbor, uh, Republic of Cyprus, we see that their score is 58. So we are 40, they are 58, and their ranking is uh, much better there in the 41st position. Um, consistently in the last three years, we were very close to Turkey. Turkey's score this year was 39, and our score is 40, so we are very uh, similar. Uh, Greece's score is 48, and its ranking is 60. And Malta's score is 54, and its uh, uh, ranking is uh, 50. So uh, we are very similar to Turkey and uh, behind our uh, other um, you know, potential cases for comparison. So, so, so Sicily is better than Rome, if we stay within <laughs> the analogy. Um, if we compare Turkey and the Turkish Cypriots, that's yeah. where the analogy the so, analogy ends, yeah. It's a slight, uh, you know, we are slightly ahead of uh, Rome. Yeah. What, what are the most common corrupt practices? Maybe can, you can give us some illustrations what, what kind of incidents we're we are talking about, what kind of practices mm -hmm. we're talking mm -hmm. about in the uh, North. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for asking this. And also this uh, gives me an opportunity to underline other, our other differences with the, with the transparency International's uh, CPI, because CPI is basically when you go there and when you look up uh, Greece, Cyprus, Germany, whatever, you will get a, a score. And if you go dig further, you see, you know, some uh, specific scores coming from different sources. We go beyond that, actually. I mean, uh, when we are calculating the score, we stick with the approach of Transparency International. But we don't limit ourselves to calculating a score. Because of that reason, we ask our uh, business executives uh, specific questions regarding our case. Because we knew that certain things will not come up in our case, because uh, being the experts on the country, we more or less uh, guessed where our problems uh, would be. And the results uh, proved us right. For instance, there is no such thing in the Transparency International's uh, questionnaire uh, asking business executives whether uh, they think there is corruption in allocation of credit from state-controlled uh, banks. There is no such thing, but we know that this is, you know, very common in, in the northern part of Cyprus. So it turned out that this was uh, one of the, the most, you know, uh, common practices here in the north. Also, 
But even uh, probably more important than this is the, the government still has some land and, and some buildings and they um, allocate them to private businesses. So, and this turned out to be the, and again, I mean, this is not covered by Transparency International, but we asked this question and it turned out that this is the most corrupt aspect. So the, the, the process is not really transparent in the North. Uh, also, we asked the question about government incentives. And we saw that again here, uh, Turkish Cypriot politicians, bureaucrats, whatever, they are really acting in a very arbitrary manner. So these are uh, things that we, 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 um, we code, actually. If you like, let me add I mean, uh, uh, something which is also good news. Uh, so these are the worst uh, areas. Best areas are like court system. So um, it turns out that our court system is, you know, better than uh, many other countries. And then many people believe that there is either no, or no corruption or very little corruption when it comes to influencing uh, courts. In a similar way, public utilities, electricity, water, uh, telecoms, here too. I mean, it's quite uh, transparent as well as uh, imports and exports. All three that I mentioned are covered by Transparency International, actually. So they expect here some problems. And all in all three, uh, actually, uh, as northern part of Cyprus, we are doing uh, quite well. So that's good news. What about, what about the interaction between the citizen and the state? I mean, if I go at a, to the, in the north and I want a passport, a driving license, this kind of normal interactions where in very corrupt countries, nothing will happen until you bribe an official. Mm -hmm. So how, how corrupt are everyday practices for citizens in the North? Do you have any information on this? We are not asking uh, these kinds of uh, questions uh, in this uh, survey, but we asked this question in a separate one. And it turns out that when it comes to these things, it's not so bad, actually. So it's uh, quite good. I, I don't remember, I mean, uh, as a citizen, of course, I mean, it's an anecdotal evidence I'm providing. I was never asked to, to, to give a bribe to a traffic police or someone at the, you know, passport office, etc. And I've never heard about anyone who was asked uh, to pay a bribe at this level. So this is what we call petty um, corruption. So in that respect, we are doing well and uh, actually, we captured that in an indirect way uh, because we ask, uh, and again, here too, we are going beyond the questions asked by Transparency International. And we ask people, uh, business executives, who is involved in corruption? And uh, we gave them the opportunity to make a distinction between high-level bureaucrats and politicians and high-level bureaucrats low-level bureaucrats and politicians, etc., And it turned out that low-level bureaucrats are the cleanest. So the higher you go in the, uh, in the hierarchy, the more corrupt they get. That's the impression we get from our uh, findings. Let's come to the, to the policy recommendation. I mean, these this first reports make 
distinct policy recommendations for three years now. So, mm. so what do you recommend should be done to improve things? And have the political elites in the North responded? Have they actually implemented some of the suggestions that were made in the report? Regarding the, the impact of our, of our report, maybe I have to uh, say something before answering your uh, more direct question. I think we are getting a good um, reception from the, the wider public, particularly press, big newspapers, are uh, covering the, the report. And uh, even the, the Kupers newspaper, which is the one of the, uh, the top selling uh, newspapers, uh, they covered almost, they published over two, three days, almost uh, the, whole, uh, the whole report. And we are invited to, um, to talk shows on TVs, uh, radio, etc. So we, I think we, are, uh, we have an impact. On top of that, uh, this year we couldn't do a public uh, launch, but in the previous two years, uh, you were there as well. Remember in the first one uh, that we had in Chamber of Commerce, the uh, chairperson of the Chamber of Commerce was there. Uh, also, tep- Deputy Prime Minister was there, along with uh, some uh, bureaucrats. In the second launch, we had, uh, I think, uh, four or five uh, MPs uh, present, members of parliament, and also a former uh, minister was there. So, uh, and on top of that, let me add this as well. We are delivering the, the report to, the, uh, to all MPs, actually. So we sent uh once we are uh, we finished the printing process we uh sent them 50 55 copies there are 50 members of parliament by the way so we they all of them find a copy in the uh in their pigeon holes when they go to work uh to the parliament so uh we are reaching them and one more positive thing i would say showing that they are paying attention. I was invited to a subcommittee meeting, a committee meeting at the parliament when they were discussing uh, reform about um, declaration of uh, assets. So they are paying attention. Did they implement anything? Not yet. (laughs) So we cannot say that uh, our uh, recommendations are, you know, changing something, but uh, I saw that uh, they are making, they're almost there, let's say. Uh, we, we, we are creating some uh, impact. That's my impression. So what are our, our um, recommendations? Well, first of all, our recommendation is, we say you need to limit the number of political appointees. Because this is dragging us down. There are many political appointees in our bureaucracy, in our uh, public administration. Meaning, every time uh, the government changes, okay, in many countries, the top bureaucracy changes, undersecretaries go, for instance. But in our case, not only undersecretaries, but all mid-level directors uh, change. So there is a loss of institutional memory 
And even probably more important than that, more dangerous than that, these are all political appointees. So they don't they know that they're accountable to their to to the people who are appointing them. And these are the politicians. And if your uh, future as a director or whatever uh, hinges on your uh, hinges on your relationship with your uh, political boss, then you know it's more difficult to be uh, completely, you know, independent to to say the least. So that's one of our um, recommendations. Limit that to one or two people per uh, ministry, and this is uh, finding some uh, some uh, reflection on political debate. I can tell you that. Uh, also, uh, there are some funds which are not uh, which are beyond the the the, uh, the authority of um, of the auditors. Well, let me put it this way. Actually, there is almost no fund. I mean, uh, auditors can audit everything, but there is a perception that they are not doing this. Okay? You know, I mean, there is always this uh, thing that you have certain uh, things written on the book, written on the constitution and, and, and all laws, but they're not implemented. So there is a problem with problem there and we are uh, saying you need to you know implement this more effectively and another point that we I think uh, we are uh, eye to eye with the with the rest of the society and even political elite this asset declaration thing we are uh, telling them that this uh, law needs to be reformed and it has to be the, the process has to be you know more, uh, transparent. And as I said, I mean, there is progress there, but I cannot say that we got the final result out of that. And finally, uh, our last recommendation is about um, public and press access to information. Again, here, actually, there is law, but the implementation is very poor. For instance, uh, if you go and ask for, ask a specific, ask for a specific information, from a government office, by law, they're required to answer, if I'm not mistaken, in three weeks or four weeks, they don't do anything and, and nothing happens. So these things should be, uh, should be uh, improved, basically. These are our recommendations. And of course, there are many things that you can do to improve things, but we chose these uh, four recommendations because of uh, two reasons. One, it's really easy to implement them. Okay? It's relatively easy, let's say, if you have political will and you will have uh, the results very soon. Okay? And second criteria, criterion that we used was whether there is a, an expectation from the wider public, whether there's a support from wider public. And for all four, I think we have... Uh, uh, wider public um, support. And um, finally, let me uh, say this. If all these, uh, these four relatively simple uh, recommendations are, are uh, implemented, you know, our score would go, go up from 40 to 51. 
and we would be, I think, very close to uh, Malta, for instance, which has a score of uh, 54, and we would uh, overtake Greece, which had uh, 48 uh, as the score. So um, there are relatively uh, simple things to be done to climb up in the in the rankings. Uh, but uh, you need a strong political will, I would say. Yeah, plus, I mean, it, 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 my understanding, corruption is also mentality and deeply embedded practices. So to, to, to change corruption is very, very hard. Can you think of any examples of countries that have actually managed to turn things around in a, to a much better level mm -hmm. in terms of lowering Uh, corrupt practices? Is there something that you could take as an inspiration and ideas how this can be done? Mm -hmm. You're right, actually. There is, a, wherever you try to implement uh, policies to, um, to lessen uh, corruption, you see uh, serious public um, or institutional or elite level resistance, let's say. Um, Ukraine, for instance, uh, you, you, you can easily see that And actually um, pushing for reform or exposing corruption can be a very dangerous thing as, uh, as a recent uh, murder in uh, Malta uh, revealed, uh, a, a journalist was uh, killed in Malta. So you're, you're right in the sense that this is a very deeply entrenched uh, phenomenon. So it's not really easy to to uproot. But uh, there are some uh, success cases, as I indicated at the beginning, Bulgaria and Romania. Of course, I mean, they're not uh, now at the top of the list, but they're doing, showing good progress uh, thanks to the pressure coming from the EU. So um, as far as I know, uh, they, they, um, they established some uh, independent bodies Uh, units to uh, oversee uh, corruption cases, and this uh, helped them uh, to improve their record. So these are the two examples that come to my mind. Did, did you or Emma ever have negative consequences in the sense of threats, or that people feel that since um, ending corruption means people not making money or losing money, this is why it's such a dangerous Mm -hmm. uh, dangerous endeavor. Did you have personally negative encounters or threats? Uh, Not really. I, mean, uh, we, I think we are lucky in that sense. Uh, nobody, no, I don't remember uh, getting any negative uh, uh, comments. Everyone is very supportive. <laughs> uh, I would say including uh, a significant segment of the political uh, class. As you would also remember, uh, Hubert, we had uh, some kind of, um, I don't know how to say, maybe a friction with the, uh, the chief justice because of some of our findings. And they said, uh, and in a way, uh, I would say um, uh, chief justice took the issue uh, from a different angle, let's say. And uh, maybe she was not uh, enough informed about what we were doing. Um, uh, but eventually, uh, as you would remember, we visited uh, the chief justice as the authors and uh, 
and the uh, sponsor of this uh, study, uh, the director of uh, FAS, uh, FAS uh, you were there as well. And we had a very uh, warm uh, talk and uh, that was it actually. I and mean, that was the, the most negative uh, thing we, we had, I would say. And uh, this was eventually, this was, I would say in a way a misunderstanding and uh, we uh, both sides at the end understood each other. So um, that's uh, what I can say uh, about the reactions, negative reactions com coming uh, from, from the politicians, uh, from the, the uh, wider public and uh, institutions. Um, to, to come to a different point, in, I mean, some might criticize FES and uh, US authors for, in a way, upgrading a non-recognized entity in the North by doing a, inverted commas, country study or entity study on the North and treating the North as an internationally recognized state through measuring corruptions as it is done for states in Transparency International. What would you say if people would raise this kind of criticism? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I don't think I don't think that there is any ground for that kind of criticism, for for the simple reason that you know individuals and particularly scientists. I don't think that they can promote a de facto entity. So what we are basically doing is a. On the one hand, is a scientific endeavor. We are trying to, uh, you know, provide uh, data on a case which is not really uh, known well, and um, and actually, um, we are trying to raise awareness uh, to make uh, the northern part of Cyprus uh, a better place to live and uh, a better. Uh, a place which is run better than it is run at the moment. And in that respect, uh, as you, I think um, you are pointing out this uh, in the foreword as well, uh, uh, foreword or preface of the, of the report, having a, a more transparent north is a good thing for the south as well, because although not much is going on at the moment, when it comes to uh, intercommunal negotiations. But uh, we know that uh, these two sides have uh, basically committed themselves via UN parameters, et cetera, to eventually reunify again, to come together again. And in that respect, as I said, uh, having a, a better run north is in the best interest of uh, the South as well, because eventually, uh, this will uh, um, create a, a better ground for a smooth reunification. Thank you so much, Sonan. I mean, recording this in the running up to Christmas, wishing is probably um, an appropriate way to, to end such a podcast. Uh, so <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much for, for a really interesting conversation with uh, Satash Sonan, Associate Professor at the Cyprus International University. And one of the two authors, the other one is Ömer Götzschekusch, on corruption perception in the North. There are three of them. You all find them in electronic form with much more detail and the tables on our website, fascypress.org. And uh, please, uh, thank you for 
listening to this podcast and hopefully you got interested to listen to quite a significant number now of other podcasts that you find on all major podcast providers within the FAS Cyprus podcast series Beyond the Divide. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Sertac. Goodbye. And I hope you hear us soon. Thank you. Thank you, Hubert. Uh, and uh, I'd like to thank to uh, FAS as well uh, for supporting our uh, research. Thank you.